Hey, this is your boy Joe T, and I want to thank you for listening to our first ever episode of Art at the Intersections, where we talk to artists and cultural workers whose work is at the intersections of art, culture, community, and social justice. Today we have with us photographer Joshua Rashad McFadden, who's currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. And you know what? Let's just get right to the interview. For those who don't know, who is Joshua Rashad McFadden? Hi. Well, I am a visual artist, um, and I work with photography. I, I make photographs, and I'm from Rochester, New York, but I traveled to the South for school, and I've been creating work there. Great. Um, what do you think the role of the artist is in our current moment? And how does that influence your art? Well, um, you know, I believe that artists play a very, very important role in this world, in this life. I think the artist's duty is to create work that reflects the time. And we'll always have that to, you know, look back at. And it documents um, what's, what's important. And, and how people are reacting to um, everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, so start us at the beginning. Um, can you tell us about what inspired your first project, Colorism? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I started that project in 2012, and you know, I, I went to a uh, historically black you know university. Um, Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina and being there you know uh, there's this movement that kind of started where women were uh, going natural with their hair Mm -hmm. and seeing that it became like a movement and seeing the camaraderie that came with that and how you know these women were young women you know were being bold and cutting off all their hair and starting new um and seeing what that did for them and their friends and also seeing you know uh guys questioning you know like what's going on why Mm -hmm. are all the women cutting off their hair but i was interesting i was interested in the um idea you know of what did that going natural um thing mean to women and so really the project started off about that and i noticed that i actually photograph, I photographed three, you know, darker skin uh, toned women and it was a triptych mm-hmm. and it was as simple as that, um, a portrait, portrait project. Um, and I noticed how people reacted to those portraits and the mm-hmm. power in their gaze. Um, and that project, it traveled, it traveled to London and for, got more feedback about it, you know, and so I wanted to explore the topic more, but then I realized I was actually talking about more than just going natural or the hair, and it was it was more complex than that. You know, that simple topic. It was about colorism, um, and so, and then I thought about you know why why didn't I include you know uh, a range of skin tones into that project, and so moving forward. Um, in, in about maybe 2013 and 14, 
I began to explore the topic of um, light skin and dark skin and why that became this phenomenon, you know, mm -hmm. on social media to where people are throwing around these hurtful jokes about light skinned people do this and that um, and what this topic of colorism and how it's hurting our community and how it has been this, uh, I guess, unspoken thing for so long, you know, and, uh, you know, this deep, deep, deep rooted issue that we're dealing with. And so I wanted to go deeper into that. And so that's where the larger project Colorism came into, came into play. Awesome. Um, so um, at your artist talk, you talked a little bit about um, having the participants of the project fill out a questionnaire. So I'm curious, since I come from a storytelling based art form, um, how does story and the collection of that information from the people you're photographing show up and influence your work. Right, right. And uh, yes, you know, visual storytelling. And, and then also, how do you bring, or how do you begin to bring certain different elements um, to enhance the, uh, the photograph? Um, and that's, I'm very interested in that. And so whether I'm doing, you know, a questionnaire, uh, collecting data, um, uh, doing interviews and, and, and seeing how they're reacting to these questions and going deeper, you know, beyond, beyond the image. Um, and then, and then how do I present this information, you know, for a viewer to now have this relationship with that information? Um, that's, that's how I create work as a, as a visual, you know, storyteller. And it allows people to begin to piece together all of these, um, these these items that are collected, whether it be a uh, archival photograph or a portrait that I've taken, or um, handwriting, handwritten stories, or interviews, uh, the voice. You know, how how did all these pieces, you know, begin to you know tell that story? Um, more in a, in a I guess more of a well-rounded story. You know, you can begin to hit um, certain areas that you wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. just just a photograph. So did you include those in the exhibit? Or, um, or do you? And for colorism? Mm -hmm. um, well, I have presented colorism in, in a few different ways. Um, I've done a public arts piece to where it included, um, it was a 200 foot um, piece that was displayed outdoors. Um, and it included the portraits as well as the handwritten text. And so people were able to take a walk with these women and read into their stories, but also, um, you know, view the, uh, the images. Um, and then also, let's say in a gallery setting, I've presented, you know, six of the images, but without text. And they're only um, confronted with the gaze of the women. And so people, but I found that people still had that same, it created that same spark and those mm -hmm. same questions. And so that let me know that it's, you know, on the right track. Um, but as far as exhibiting colorism, it hasn't been um, fully exhibited in the way that um, I would like it to be yet. And so very soon it will be. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and so transitioning to talking about After Selma, mm -hmm. um, what inspired that project? After Selma, that was um, inspired by uh, a couple of different things. So, after Selma, 
first of all, is about um, the comparison between the civil rights movement of 65 um, to the Black Lives Matter movement of now, you know, 2014 through 16, right? And so I got this idea because in 2015, um, Michael Brown was killed and the trial, well, it didn't go to trial and um, there was uprising across the country. And that same year was also the celebration of the march from Montgomery, Selma to Montgomery, which uh, achieved voter rights, um, voters' rights for African Americans, you know, um, and so you know, which was the civil rights movement. It was a, it was a one of the major victories of mm -hmm. the civil rights movement, uh, and so for these things to be happening, you know, on that anniversary at the same time, it was a struggle, you know, it was a battle for me to to begin to even think about why we are still dealing with these very same issues as far as police brutality and even even um, voters education and, and voters rights mm -hmm. right and so if you know if you look to what's what has been happening happening still in Alabama as far as voters rights but anyways I, I wanted to explore that and then do my own investigation into what that meant as far as the comparison mm -hmm. and uh, what that meant visually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned um, other than things are very similar now as they it, were yeah. back then? <laughs> Is there anything else that kind of surprised you that you hadn't expected um, to learn through juxtaposing those two things together? Uh, good question. You know, I've already, already came to that conclusion. You know, uh, well, 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 things are very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, before going, However, you know, it was my first time traveling to Alabama, mm -hmm. um, the, and it was my first time actually seeing um, multiple generations, mm -hmm. right, participating and moving and uh, acting for the same cause. Um, and so I saw foot soldiers that marched in 65 at that very march, and then I saw people you know, marching for Black Lives Matter. Um, and they were together. Mm -hmm. And so that really broadened my perspective about, you know, what's actually going on here. Mm -hmm. um, and then also seeing multiple races and, you know, everybody kind of coming together to voice their opinions. Um, I found it beautiful and then actually heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it served as a wake-up call for me. Um, it was a new experience for me um, to be there. Um, you know, I guess on the front lines, so to say, you know, um, mm -hmm. and that's, and I was, I was in the movement just like everyone else. So, and I was able to capture, capture that. And so now the results, that's what we're now learning from, um, me as well as, as well as others. I think that people are responding to the work in the way that I wanted them to, as mm -hmm. far as questioning, um, these recent events. Uh, as far as you know, why why it's happening, why it's still happening, you know what what we, can we do to move forward, um, and then also inspiring people to actually go back mm -hmm. fifty years and look and see, you know, um, what was going on then. Because if you know what happens in the past, then we'll do better, you know, in the future. And it's it's just, it's as um as simple as that, you know. Mm -hmm. 
So you said that you were out there with them. What mm-hmm. kind of challenges did that pose with trying to get, you know, the nicely composed images when you're out amongst the people and moving and the chaotic atmosphere yeah. that, that protests are? You know, that, that comes along with photography, you know? And so, you know, that's the challenge of mm-hmm. photography and that's what you have to be up for, you know? Can you go and keep your composure, um, sometimes you can, but can you keep your composure and get um, images that will, that will make a difference? Are you able to still keep your uh, creative eye, mm-hmm. you know, in the midst of everything that's going on around you? Yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, it's one thing to, like, go into a situation like that when you're not directly impacted, mm-hmm. and so it just uh, brought to mind, you know, that you are um, impacted by the things that you're photographing mm-hmm. in that moment, that it may be something different, you know, at play versus someone who's not um, directly impacted. Yeah, it, I mean, you get into, you know, what moves you to create the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the police killings and the shootings and, and the violence, you know, and, and discrimination and racism, you know, that really is what moved me spiritually to to act Mm -hmm. and this is the best way that I know how uh, to make a difference Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to use you know my gift to to say something and that's what moved me to create these photos and I think that also um, you can see it in the images and I think that um, you know with any artist or with anybody with what they do that's that's what um, allows people to create um, you know meaningful work um, you brought up spirit so mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what you think about the intersections of creating art and spirit and spiritual practice so mm-hmm. just curious um, that wasn't on my list of questions oh, okay I'm like since you brought it up yeah um, well I I'm not sure you know, I do, I do know that, you know, let's say, you know, I you know, believe in God and a higher being and um, I'm connected with, uh, I guess, my, my feelings and then, um, I guess, this spiritual realm um, mm-hmm. or higher being or in universe. And, you know, knowing that everything happens, um, well, there's something bigger than me and everything happens for, you know, for some kind of reason. Uh, and I listen to that, mm-hmm. right? And so if something's kind of like piercing me or pushing me to act, and then I, I try to listen to that. If it's, you know, if it's a, if it's a positive thing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, and So take us from yeah. the beginning and work us through. Through to now. And so... Again, I, the thought came way back. I just never acted on or started to create the project back in 2012 when uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this idea that the hoodie that he was wearing is what caused that. Mm-hmm. Or that's what the media would like to say. Um, and how the black hoodie became the, you know, iconic, and how Trayvon Martin became iconic, 
you know, uh, for our generation. And then seeing how my peers were reacting and how I reacted and was a little confused about, you know, uh, what um, the perception of black, you know, people was, or was, you know, is. The perception is, actually not was. Um, and so beginning to think about that, not really knowing and, you know, questioning uh, my existence, our existence, you know, that really took a big toll. And so I actually, I didn't start the project until, you know, 2015. And so now I wanted to, it, it broadened into the idea of identity and then masculinity and then identity construction through, um, through ideas of the role model, through experiences, and then through history. And I began to think about, well, how do we as African-American men begin to have a sense of, of, um, of selfhood, which is what creates individuality. Mm-hmm. You know, when we say identity, I think it, it, it's usually this blanket, this blanket that, you know, is put over, you know, the person of these different um, perceptions and that are projected onto that person. When we say, quote unquote, black male identity, right? Mm-hmm. But now when we say selfhood, we're actually giving that individual um, the chance to say, who am I? Or this is who I am. And so that's what I wanted to begin to do with the um, project Selfhood and Come to Selfhood. And so with Selfhood, um, no, I'll start with Come to Selfhood. So with Come to Selfhood, um, it's you know the contemporary image of the African American man, and then um, the vernacular image of the father figure, and that begins to show um, the everyday life of the African American man. But then you'll see that these images are from the, you know, the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. And you see the everyday life. You'll see um, men in the military. You'll see men with their children and their family. Um, you'll see men going to the disco, you know, going mm-hmm. to party. Um, you'll see men, you know, on a boat, on vacation. Um, you'll see men um, getting married. You know, and so you see this everyday lives and uh, these everyday lives uh, activities, mm-hmm. um, and that will bring a sense of normalcy uh, to uh, the individual, mm-hmm. um, and that's what's missing. And so when we have these blanket state, these blanket identities covering these men, um, it makes them invisible. It makes their true identity invisible, and that's what causes death, right? And so when you have Trayvon Martin. You know, he wasn't allowed to be who he was in that instance. He was mm-hmm. killed. He was killed because who George Zimmerman thought he was. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it was like a shield. Like, I think he's a thug. This is what he's wearing. He just stole something. Like, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. that is what causes death. But, it, it's death, you know, physically. And then it also can be symbolic. Symbolic. A symbolic death. Meaning... Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you have, let's say Trayvon Martin didn't die, but people still viewed him as this thug, right? You know, he's not going to be able to live a full life Mm -hmm. if he goes along with the perceptions that he's a thug, right? And he doesn't demand more from the people that are holding things back from him. 
right? You'll have people that say, oh no, you can't get into school, you can't do this, you can't do such and such, you need to dress this way, uh, you need to be this way, uh, all because of their perceptions of who he is mm -hmm. or who he might be. What can you delve deeper into what you think those blankets are, mm -hmm. um, particularly um, with African American men um, in this country? Sure, yeah. I mean, first the the first, then you know, just up to no good. Mm -hmm. um, always questioning, you know, their uh, motive, questioning the motive. Uh, let's see, you have like. Uh, the hypersexuality, you know, mm -hmm. the 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 rapist, the the brute, you know. It's I mean, it's you know, you see it every day on on, on television that um, things are. It is changing now. I mm -hmm. will say it is changing now, and you'll see other narratives coming into play, and I love it. Like with Atlanta, and uh, with uh, what's the new show? You have Atlanta, then you have Insecure, mm -hmm. and you see, now you're seeing these new identities come into play. Um, but, you know, that's 2016. So for years, you know, you've had these um, continuous stories of the thug, the rapist, you know, the, um, the drug dealer, um, the, the man who, who, who doesn't care about his, his children, mm -hmm. right? You know, deadbeat fathers, so on and so forth. And so that's what we seek to, to change. But we also seek to understand who those men might, you know, who those men might be. Some men mm -hmm. may not, you know, be involved with their children. But we have to understand that it's the individual. Mm -hmm. That's that's the importance of this project, as that is that everybody's an individual. And so um, you alluded to um, the limiting of possibilities mm -hmm. um, in terms of the blanket. So yeah, how are we limited? as black men, mm -hmm. how do we limit ourselves mm -hmm. in terms of the blanket? So I'm interested in your viewpoints um, on that. Well, I'll speak towards my experience um, because that's what I know the best. And I know that some people can, uh, well, most can probably relate. I was just talking to someone earlier about this. And so um, I think back in high school, I was told by, I was told by a guidance counselor that, you know, I wouldn't be to think about, you know, maybe doing a trade. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And it had nothing to do with my grades. You know, but that's what I was told by somebody that is perceived to be higher up. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm 17. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. impressionable. You know, this is someone who knows what they're talking about. And so if they're telling me, mm -hmm. nah, no. You know what I mean? Then that's what I'm going to believe. And I almost did for a while. Almost did for a while. Until then, I, my father comes in and my mother comes in. Oh, sorry. My father comes in and my mother comes in, you know, and says, you know, that's not true, right? Um, no, you can go to school and your grades show that and, you, you know, you just need to apply. But so, so why did, you know, this person come in and what, what, what caused her to even say that in the first place? Mm -hmm. If you saw that my uh, grades and everything was, you know, was fine. You know what? You know so that that could have limited. You know that could have just put a hold a halt to everything. You know that I'm doing now. You know mm -hmm. that would have. You know it would have put me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. If if I didn't have someone in my community come back and, and negate that, 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Now, there's many men who don't have that. You know what I mean? Um, or or it'll just come later. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So, you know, now they're probably somebody later down the road. Let's say now they're 23. And somebody says, no, you could have went to school. Mm-hmm. You, you know, see how many years, you know, went by. And, you know, that gives more time into them working maybe a job that they don't want to be in, you know, or not even getting a job and, you know, uh, not having, you know, the means to live and so on and so forth, creating problems in their life. You know, it just, it just, Mm -hmm. you know, just throws people right off track. And so that's the type of thing I'm, it could be just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Because her perception of uh, black men and who they are, young to say things like, oh, no, I don't think you, you know, you maybe you shouldn't shoot, you know, to go to school. You should kind of shoot to do whatever else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, why would you, why would you say that to a young, a young person? Mm-hmm. Um, so you said um, in your artist talk yeah. that um, you were positioning blackness. Um, can you talk more about that? I know that was... Uh, specifically in the painted portraits, yes. But I feel like it applies to both uh, to both iterations of selfhood and come to selfhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just wanting um, you to tell us more about that. Okay, well, not positioning blackness, pos- positioning um, likeness. Mm. So meaning, uh, literally, the 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 picture of, of self, mm-hmm. you know, who you are, um, visual representation. Mm-hmm. And so I took that into two sections. So literally, like, you know, who you are, um, positioning, um, you know, basically how you dress, you know, who you are and where, um, basically how do you position, you know, when people position themselves um, in places of power, right? How do you begin to position yourself, you know, to get this, you know, job? How do you position mm-hmm. yourself to meet these certain people, so on and so forth, you know? So taking that idea, then also um, positioning uh, the men in the portrait. You know, how do they position themselves? You know, so what, how would you stand? Mm. What is a powerful posi- um, stance for you? And then how would they portray that? Mm-hmm. And then also, how do I position, literally position this art piece on a wall? So how do I begin to put all of that into account when I'm um, creating? Um, and so I wanted to take this man, right, and and take his portrait um, after he positioned himself. And uh, then I take this and put it high up on the wall, right? To where people must always look up to this man, mm-hmm. right? In whatever way he chooses to dress, what he chooses to put in the portrait, so on and so forth, uh, we must respect it and look at it as such, right? Um, and that's my, that's my choice to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's all in, you know, creating and also leading people to think um, in a certain way about, you know, about these portraits. So, but don't you think, though, that that still has um, implications larger for how people are interacting with your subjects who 
are African American. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to uh, see what's the line from positioning their likeness mm-hmm. and how that adds to then these conceptions that the viewer may have of mm-hmm. blackness of black men mm-hmm. and what are what are the ways that those work um, mm-hmm. in tandem with each other exactly and it's not my job to change um, not to change the perception mm-hmm. but for them to question themselves or challenge to challenge it right and so so when I was thinking because when we get into the topic of like uh, let's say respectability politics I could have put these men in suits Mm-hmm. And put them up on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the point. The point is for these men to wear what they want, to present themselves in the way that they want, and for people to begin to just accept it mm-hmm. and let them be. And for me to blow that up and put it on the wall, it doesn't speak towards the big black man stereotype. And if it does, that's their problem, right? And then, then it's time to challenge that. Right. right, because people brought that up last night. Is it is this feeding into? You know, nobody wanted to say it. Right, but I, you know, I wanted to say, is, like, is this there. feeding into the big black man? Maybe, maybe, because you know that is one of the perceptions that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that this person cannot be um, on the wall as large as it is? No, because you have Renaissance paintings from you know that era that are humongous, and mm-hmm. you don't call it the big white man. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So now how do we begin to challenge that and change it? It wasn't, you know, for them, for people to still um, think that way looking at the portrait, that's the problem. And it's not my position to put these men in a suit or whatever uh, would please mm-hmm. that person to change, you know, to change that mind. It's not, that's not what's going to change their minds. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I think la- I think the conversation last night was great because we saw different ideas bouncing around about that you know that those images specifically, mm-hmm. and it's and what I like about it is you invite that conversation of what they bring to it mm-hmm. and how that is then implicated in larger society through the way people are taught to view mm-hmm. um, black men. So right, yeah, right, because you can act like all day that people don't. I mean those. What they're wearing is, uh, you know, they have. There's one of the guys who just has sweatpants on and a, and a sweatshirt, mm-hmm. you know, and sneakers, and people wear that every day. Yep. But now that it's big and on the wall, how are you gonna, um, you know, uh, or what are you gonna think about, you know, that image when it's presented mm-hmm. um, in this way, right? Are you gonna sexualize this man? Are you going to? Uh, begin to think he is intimidating mm-hmm. are you those are the two main ones right sexualized yep and then you see intimidation right and so now it's time to question that if that's what you see mm-hmm. or to uh, to challenge that if that's what you see right mm-hmm. yes yeah, so um Thank you for coming, um, talking with us um, at Art at the Intersections. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, well, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, this is always great. I love, um, you know, speaking about this work and, you know, uh, getting, getting, you know, all the feedback and, and seeing how it's created these, 
very conversation that we talked about, you know, today. So I um, thank you so much. And how can people um, connect with you through the social media world? Oh yeah, um, social media. So it's Instagram. I guess well they're all the same. So it's uh, Joshua underscore Rashad, um, and that's with two A's. So R A S H A A D, and that's uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Yes. Well, thanks again, and looking forward to watching your work progress. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our first episode. If you like what you heard today, I would like you to subscribe to the podcast in the Apple Podcasting app or on SoundCloud. If you would like to keep in touch with us and continue these conversations, you can do so by following us on Twitter at AATI28. On our next episode, we will be talking about the enduring legacy of the Black theater tradition. Until then, take care.